Welcome to Tactically Acquired, a special summer session. During the Tactically Acquired, a special summer session, we will focus on documenting our community's living history in a fun and easy environment. We will capture the stories of our community and sharing their stories, adventures, and journeys. The podcast is for anyone interested in learning more about our community and its amazing people. Now, this is unfiltered. Meaning we'll go over the good, the bad, and yes, maybe even the ugly of being in the community and what is happening with us, around us. I'm your host, Rusty Martis, retired Air Force Mustang and OEF veteran, and I run the Veterans Resource Station at North Kentucky University. Good morning, and thank you for being part of our Tactically Acquired Summer Edition podcast, where we talk with uh, local individuals that talk a little bit about history around North Kentucky. In particular, we're going to sit down with Dale Adams today and talk about NKU's history on disability services. Is that correct, Dale? For Northern Kentucky University. For Northern correct. Kentucky University. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit uh, just about your involvement with NKU and your role and how you kind of got involved in disability services? The um, uh, How did I get involved with the disability services? I came to NKU um, and worked on my master's uh, with a uh, early master's program in 78, 79. And I had had a background in working with Kyrus students from uh, Glenbard West High School up in the greater Chicago area, um, working with the Boy Scouts and was involved with different challenging situations dealing with some of the disabled students coming in disabled people coming in. Um, so I understood. I probably also was had a learning disability or ADD or something at another time and place when I was in school. Uh, my high school counselor laughed at me when I went in and told her I was going to go to college. And uh, my first semester, I flunked three out of five subjects. Wow. I did not know how to study. I did not know a lot of the games that one must play in order to survive. Uh, got involved with some students that uh, helped me learn different things, you know, study groups, tutoring. Well, they helped tutor me, and that was a lifesaver. They taught me some of the skills that I had not had from my high school. And you said that was in the early 1970s or mid-1970s? Uh, well, that, when I got, was working on my master's here, that was in the... Um, I was in the late 70s, but in my earlier years, you know, high school years, I would have probably, I, I was in college material. Okay, uh, and that, so. that'd be interesting, maybe we'll jump back into it unless you want to talk about now, because um, how interesting it would have been from the 1970s to when you took over, basically, um, the disability services and everything that you put in place to ensure the success of students here at NKU. Okay. So. Um, I came and, uh, and uh, my uh, wife brought home a, um, a job description with special services, which is now student support services. Worked with high-risk college students, low-income, first-generation college, and disabled right. um, to a varying degree with whatever they could do. So I came in in uh, August of 78. Um, completing my master's in that semester and I had taken over the position from one counselor whose name uh, uh, was here and I'm not for sure what and his involvement was with the disabled population 
shortly after, I guess it was somewhere between three, four, five months, they hired a lady to take over the disabled individuals because she was blind. Mm. And she did not have any background with disabilities right. except her own disability. Uh, she only lasted about nine months because she could not, she had a degree from somewhere in, I don't know what, but uh, she couldn't broaden that scope and take in some of the other challenges that come from a disabling situation. Um, it moved on down. I was working with and without with some of the disabled population. Um, there was a lot of confusion going on. The Discrimination Act 73, bringing all that about, and there was a lot of law, mm -hmm. a lot of legal aspects that was being developed and things that they had not even thought about when they made that law. Um, as it moved on down the line there, coming in, uh, I was working with disabled people even though they then hired another man to handle the disabled population, but it was his load of people was quite large. And so he was working, I guess, with some of the more severely disabled individuals. Intake, uh, working with the, uh, um, some of the more severely. He did not really get involved with some of the um, architectural type of things that needed to be done. Uh, so and this is pre-ADA, so. Well, ADA came in shortly after that, but it was all tied up in that uh, 73 Act. Mm -hmm. And uh, they didn't know what they were getting into. They didn't know what had to happen. Right. This was pre-buttons. This yep. was pre-all the things that we're going through today. Yeah. Um, they didn't think about it. So uh, I was a counselor uh, and he, from 1980 to 80, uh, at 78, 79 and there to 87, and he stepped out, he left. He went over to uh, another school. And I had been handling a lot of disabled, and so I said, I applied and got the job. Um, and there was question whether they wanted to give it to me because I didn't really have the credentials behind me for that. Um, I have a master's in education, or master's in sociology education, but because of my experience, which was more important than right. the degree, it allowed me to understand what a lot of these students are going through. Absolutely, and your personal history as well. Right, so, yes. Very key. Um, so I was a, a very upfront person, very uh, direct. Um, sometimes I don't sugarcoat it. I'll try to work with a person. Uh, but I can remember telling students after they'd come in and told me the same story over and over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> I said, hold it, let me get my tape recorder out. Let me tape this and then it'll save you a lot of breath. And if you're not gonna make any of the changes that we have looked at and you know you need to do, Go to the Learning Assistance Center, get yourself a tutor, uh, sit down in study groups, start writing, reading, t reading out loud to yourself so it goes out and comes back in your ears. 
if you're not going to do any of this, if you're going to continue doing what you do, we're not going to get any place. You're not going to make it. That was very hard for a lot of un individuals to understand. Yeah. Especially coming out of a high school setting, the training that took place with the parents, the students, some of their professionals um, that was working with them in other areas, they thought because they were coming to school, they were going to get a degree. They didn't have to produce. And going to a conference in Atlanta, Georgia, one of the uh, lead counselors, uh, lead uh, men that work for the government uh, out of the Department of uh, Education in the disability area, had made the statement, just because you have a disability is not going to make you successful here. You're going to have to produce like everybody else, and you have the right to fail like everybody else. Right. So I started using that. That's awesome, actually. <laughs> That's very cool. <laughs> and uh, he and I became very good friends, and he taught me a lot. Um, he was the lead counsel doing this presentation and just blew me away with some of the things that he was saying. Um, but, well, my son, daughter has a disability. They've got a high school diploma. Why are they failing everything? Mm -hmm. Well, they're not going to class. They're not uh, using the tutors. They're not attempting to read and study like they should. And we have talked about this, and it just does not seem like we're going anyplace. Right. Um, it was a different approach. Mm -hmm. As time moved on, um, and I took over that position, I started finding that there was a lot of accessibility issues, placement of buttons, so that a person could actually use a door button to open a door. Um, uh, the ramps, the positioning of the ramps, the um, many challenges that face a student with the, the road pavement, parking. Mm -hmm. And so I got involved and got to know um, our uh, physical plant quite well. Now you can be an expert, but it's hard to be an expert in everything. Right. And there's a lot of architects, a lot of legal counsel, a lot of people that are experts in fields, but they don't have the slightest idea what it is to be a disabling individual. So I started networking and I had the president and his group rolling around in wheelchairs. I had the physical plant get into in the wheelchairs and show them where the button was at, needed to be placed. And um, What time frame was that, Dale? This was in the, uh, well, I took over in 87. This would be 87, 88, 89. Yeah, so, so still pretty early in the... Uh, I, yeah, there had been a lot of things changing. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to put a button in. Right. But if you see that elevator over there, mm -hmm. many people in wheelchairs have limited arm mobility. Right. And for them to get to that button, they can't do it. Very difficult, yeah. There was areas on all the buildings where they would put that button right in the corner. A couple places you had to roll through a plate glass window in order for them to get to that button to hit it. Mm. And that's why I started bringing in um, those posts and getting posts set up in a lot of places. We still have problems like over in that 
area there for a person in a wheelchair. He'd either have to back up, hit the button, and then have to reposition himself to get on the elevator. But the post would allow them to get a straight move and then go straight on into the elevator. Gotcha. Um, restrooms, same thing. They'd put the button really close to the door. You couldn't hit, you hit the button, it wouldn't open. You wouldn't couldn't open. get into it. Right. Um, some, and if you look around, just watch some of the arm mobility that people in chairs have. Uh, that's one of the things that I really fought hard for. During that time frame, um, and the, when you start to really work through that, I think it's really cool that you did that with the president and some of the senior leaders walking through that. But do you have an idea about how many students were on campus at that time frame that had maybe accessibility issues or considered people with disabilities? Um, the largest group of people that were coming in were uh, LD, ADD. Um, we've changed a lot of the terms now. But a lot of people with learning disabilities and, and ADD situations. And um, we had a, a three or four as it was moving through there. It, it, the majority was non-visible disabilities. Right, okay. Um, I would say we probably had 15 or 20 okay. uh, wheelchairs floating around. Uh, mobility impaired type of individuals. It, it sounds like, and I'm maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. I don't mean to, and I want to go back to what you were okay. talking about. But I was just curious <coughs> because it seems like, um, really honestly, thanks to you and your insight on what you brought to that position, that NKU was probably ahead of the game compared to a lot of other universities and colleges, even in the local area, if not throughout the nation. We were. Yeah. Uh, as time moved on there, it took a while for me to really catch the attention mm -hmm. of the powers that be. Um, but then it started making some sense to them. Um, I got uh, acquainted with, uh, we had a, one student, and I'll mention his name. He was very helpful to us, um, Jeff um, Wilson. He was, could work a computer, a specialized computer got from Voc Rehab but his arm mobility was very limited. He had to have an attendant with him most of the time. Um, he was very involved with the basketball team. And so what I ended up doing was I started having a wheelchair basketball during rites of spring. Wow. <laughs> and the men would play the women. Um, big thing going on. I guess that went on for eight years, nine years or so. And there's pictures in the archives in different places of, with that. But uh, Jane Meyer, um, uh, Nancy Wenzel, Coach Shields, they jumped right in and helped. Jeff would go down and sit with the team. And that was a good visual mm -hmm. for us. Absolutely. I didn't tell him to do that, but he did it, did it on his own. They just really liked him. Mm -hmm. And he helped me understand a lot of things that was going on, brought to my attention, you know, some of the things about the buttons, and I started observing. And uh, I, one of the uh, directors of the physical plant, uh, I took him out. He was wheeling around. He got trapped between two doors. Ah. He hit the button and wheeled in. The door opened. He went in, and the other door didn't open. And he, well, what do I do? I said, well, you sit there till somebody else comes. Right. <laughs> and, well, 
and uh, really showcased it uh, yes, brought it home. Right. Yeah. And so he uh, really jumped. He, it was a realization to him. Right. Expert in his field, but never had that understanding. Um, and I can mention Sarah Sidebottoms as time moved on there. She was very helpful to me. There was a couple lawsuits that was going on and I was very involved with them and this was before I was a director. I was still just a counselor, disability services, and then half there and half wherever dealing with 150 disabled students plus a good number of others, which right. was becoming uh, intake and outtake and uh, it was just becoming too much. Um, a lawsuit really helped because I could not really focus all my time with the disability issues. And the lawsuit helped me because I helped her learn disability law and she helped me understand other law. And she told, called me, uh, uh, I can say Sarah Seibon, she was so good. Um, she says, Dale, it's not a good thing when I don't have to look your number up and I know it from memory. Right. <laughs> I said, well, I do call you or you call me a lot. Right. <laughs> so, because there was a lot of things coming down the line there that was coming to a head. Mm -hmm. uh, when I said, no, I can't do that, or there's, not an, there's an issue here that um, we're having trouble with, uh, I needed to have some response, needed to know I had some backup. Um, I think I'll go along on that realm there for a little bit. Please, yes. Not only did we have to educate the student, we had to educate the parents, we had to educate counselors, we had to educate the instructors, the directors. So I, at an early stage, started going around making presentations to the different departments. and letting them know uh, what the legal ramifications were and what the uh, end result could be. Um, and I had some instructors that said, no, I'm not gonna do that. And I'd have to tell them, I said, well, I suggest you talk to your department chair because I'm gonna have to go to legal counsel and tell them that you are putting this university in a bad situation and you will have to then work this out with them. I had a few people that had to leave because they would not do what the federal government wanted, needed them to do. Uh, the university had pumped a lot of money into me over the years going to these different conferences and things and my job was to protect the university and protect the student yeah. and not just give away a diploma. Um, had a couple major lawsuits. We won them all, and thanks to Sarah and uh, her team. Um, and the great work that you started doing well, early on. Right, yeah. well, working and getting to know things that needed to be done. Uh, I had really a lot of good support from the uh, chairs, it seemed like, as they would go and learn some things. I had to go and have a lot of one-on-one -on -one meetings with them. But a student would walk up to somebody and say, I have a disability, I need extra time on a test, or I need this, this, and this, and they were giving it to them. And so in setting up procedures very early, and it took a couple years for this really to go through, unless you registered with 
our department, disability services. You are not recognizing this university with having a disability. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're in a chair. I don't care if you're visually impaired. You have to register with us and provide us with proof in order for you to receive accommodations. And that held up in court. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm just curious, it, do you remember the time frame? If I was a student coming in and say, hey, I have a learning disability, per mm -hmm. se, um, how long that would normally take to get through the system so it would be recognized throughout the university? As soon as they would produce to me a documentation of a learning disability or an ADD situation or whatever, uh, uh, a psychometrist, a, psych a psychology report, you know, evaluation, I was not going to fight that. Right. And that was starting to give me a moral problem. Um, but we'll go back to that in a minute here. But yeah, they would produce that to me. They'd have to go to their psychometrist or psychologist or whoever, get the report, bring it to me. It was all you know, strictly confidential. Uh, instructors wanted to come over and see it. They could not see that. I just say, this, that's the responsibility of my department to make this decision. Um, like it or not, Here's this is what we're going to do. We're going to give them this, 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 and this as a combination, and uh, we have to go from there. Um, and that was validated through the powers that be as time went on. You know, uh, They knew what I was doing. They kept a pretty close watch on me, it seemed like, and I'm glad. Uh, we had our battles, and some of them I won, some of them they won. I, I have, I'm not going into too many details, but I have a student that I'm working with right now. He t was, um, has a learning disability, but don't have documentation, and he was asking me if I could help with the documentation piece because he was told it would take about six months before he could see a provider to get that documentation. And so, well, <laughs> um, I could see that happening. Yeah. Um, Department of Vocational Rehabilitation uh, was really working with a lot of my students, our students, and they would seem like as they would get hooked up with voc rehab, it seemed like that process moved yeah, along pretty quicker. fast. So that's a great advice. I'll, I'll pass that along to the student as well. Yes. Uh, Kentucky, Ohio, all of them have a Department of Vocational Rehabilitation. Um, I used to be very close to the Department of Voc Rehab, and that was a, passed on to me from uh, my director at the time. She had worked um, with Voc Rehab, a lot of issues. Um, and. Uh, that was a, a name, it was a real help because a lot of students coming out of high school had a disability, but I don't think it was ever formally uh, recognized. But they would give them accommodations, and then when they got here, we had to have detailed documents. And so Voc Rehab would step in then and take them from there and see if they were uh, yeah. Yeah. eligible. Uh, another different battle, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then p parents would get upset if they had to have psychs. And um, one man walked in, had on a thousand dollar suit, and his son was all dressed up, just all spiffy, you know. And he he had an attitude. He says, "What are you going to do for my son?" And I looked at him and I said, "I'm not going to do a damn thing for your son. <laughs> What's your son going to do for himself if he's here?" Because he just had that attitude as we had talked yeah. somewhat. 
and I told him, I said, you know, you have to work at failing at this school. If you don't do some of the things needed to do, your son has the right to fail like everybody else. Well, what do you mean? I said, I'm here to advise and counsel and to make him as successful as he can be, but I can't make him successful. Right. And my boss sometimes did not like my approach. (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie Baker, I'll mention her name because she was such a a great influence uh, because she had had some background that I didn't have and she taught me a lot of things. But uh, parents would get real upset with me. And I'd say, well, I think you need just to go down the hall, two doors down, and talk to my boss. And uh, I think they'll help you understand why I'm here. <laughs> I'm just curious. Have you ever uh, heard or seen the movie Crip Camp? It's fairly new. Crip Camp? I can't say I have, yeah. no. Um, I just mentioned it because it reminds me of a scene that was in there where um, it's about a camp that was established, I think, in the 70s uh, for disabled mm-hmm. uh, people with disabilities. And it was kids, and they had camp counselors. And some of the conversation they had was the kids trying to get, make the parents understand that yes, they may be disabled, but they're people, mm-hmm. and they can be successful. Right. And the parents were the ones that were having the hard time understand that. And your story kind of resonated with me a little bit um, from that scene. But I'm kind of curious. Do you remember if that student ended up coming to NKU? Was did he? Was he? Successful? He, he, he did come to NKU. He lasted a year and a half. Okay. And he dropped out. Gotcha. Um, he met with me a number of times, and we had many conversations, and I could not get him to follow the steps, follow that, he the did. steps that needed to be six, that I knew he right. needed. Uh, and, you know, uh, you can't make everybody successful. And Absolutely. my job was to advise counsel direct, uh, give them that accommodation if they need it. He got the accommodations, but then it didn't seem like he followed through with it. Yeah, you got to utilize yeah. all your tools, right. like you said, yeah. to make it available. Yeah. If he had an accommodation, he had to t- get letters from me, from my department as it came on down, and hand carry that to each instructor. It had my name on it, what the accommodation was, and how it had to be done, handled, the rules, regulations, or whatever. And few times they'd come back and say, well, the teacher's not going to accept this. I said, I'll take it from here. Right. So, because uh, I didn't want to put that student in an adversarial position. That was my job. Yeah. So you so. worked as a liaison and mm-hmm. consultant right. as well, basically. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm kind of curious, just to, well, I'll throw a statistic out there, just because I have it top of my head. <laughs> veterans Affairs has, says that uh, 60% of all student veterans have a disability or rated uh, a disabled um, according to their accounts. And so I'm curious if, was there any discussion throughout your time at NKU specifically about military veterans and disabilities or did it all just fall under uh, disability services? There was discussion about it, but at the time uh, money supposedly was real tight mm-hmm. and uh, as time moved on there, and when, what was it, 97, I think, Rotruba came in, there was more discussion of it. Um, but there was a department already set up with recognized procedures, and we couldn't decide why that would be any different exactly. than a, a, a normal student. 
Yes, that soldier, a military person, had gone through one hell of an experience, PTSD or whatever. But I was trained to handle and work with people like that. Right. Yeah. Um, to conflict with my department, somebody else's department, um, it could have created a lot of misunderstandings out there in the real world. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, out in the real world, out in the university yeah. world. Absolutely. So we didn't want, I didn't feel, and several others didn't feel that that was probably appropriate. Uh, we could correspond with each other, we could work with each other. Uh, the the uh, vets could come and talk with me, and, and, you know, and, yeah. Um, I did have some say in different things that was going on, but I could only bring to their attention that, you know, if you were wanting this to be an accessible campus, these things need to be changed. You need to get these buttons out of the corner. You need to make these restrooms and things more accessible with the stalls and different things. Um, we had a real fight over in the BEP building because of the way it was laid out, the men's at mm -hmm. floor level, and we wanted to take the doors off the restrooms. And we had one psychology teacher that just had a fit. <laughs> really? We can't take the doors off the restrooms. Right. And they were shaped and designed so that, yeah, you could take the door off, maybe put up a small little wall, and they were doing it at, you know, the arenas in different places. But he really had a, got upset. And so I think that he won out because of his tenure and whatever. <laughs> but yeah, just strange things that happen. And right. you, you would look at him and say, that guy's not gonna have any problem at all with it. Yeah. And, uh, but he did. Wow. So yeah, but the money flow, uh, physical plan and uh, I guess the powers that be had other ideas of how some of that money needed to be spent. Yeah. And uh, some things were slow in coming. Yeah. Had to constantly keep, you know, poking, a, poking the, the bear right. and uh, things happened. Well, um, it's like I said earlier, it sounded like NKU was kind of at the forefront of accessibility uh, around the local area, if not throughout the nation, mm -hmm. for the accessibility piece. <laughs> Did they do NKU doing advertising or any, um, I don't know, try to get students to understand that NKU's probably a little more advanced than other areas? We were up against Wright State, mm -hmm. which had really uh, come in, and there was a lot of money poured into Wright State for accessibility and for disability issues. Right. Um, so I was having a hard time, we were having a hard time competing against Wright State, but we did have the logistics here in this area where a lot of people just wanted to come to NKU. Mm -hmm. And as much as we could provide, you know, they knew that we had an inner learning accessibility. You know, some of our elevators and things were not properly equipped or whatever, but we were accessible. And they liked what was going on within the, 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 the tutoring, the learning assistance center was invaluable to us. Right. Uh, if we get a student in there and they started seeing how important that was and people showing them some study skills, da, 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 that, we healed people. Right. It was like we laid hands on somebody and they learned. And they would be with us for a while and then they would break off. They did not need our services anymore. 
wonderful. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they went success. on to uh, uh, be, be. We ended up, uh, we, uh, the fellow that I replaced had gotten a small grant, and we had one of the early uh, reading machines. And I can't remember what that name was, but it was a big, bulky thing that you could lay a book on it, and it would read it to you. And we had one $10,000, $15,000 machine. We had one lady that went on to get her degree and then her master's and is now teaching in a local school. Wow. Um, and she used that machine. But it was hard to learn, and she was persistent, and she was a go-getter. Right. So uh, very proud that that worked out. Uh, but yeah, the, the, we had vets that would come in and talk with us. I think there was a, a fear of being recognized as having a disability, mm -hmm. which was very difficult for them. And you know, we didn't put a big D on their head right. or anything. Yeah. Tried to keep it as you know, uh, Lewis, uh, uh, so that nobody would know. Uh, the only people that would know would be the instructor, and it didn't specify the disability. It just specified this person gets this accommodation. So uh. you end up retiring out NKU. Um, when you retired, were you the director of disability services, and what were your time frames, if you don't mind mentioning? The, the I was director from a couple different lawsuits. Sarah Sidebottoms helped and saw that there was a need because I was starting to work with like 400 both two, three, four hundred students mm -hmm. intake, and so I got uh, a staff of, uh, I, I took over as Director of Testing and Disability Services, and we did 12,000 professional tests, and I don't know how many inter-school tests that we would do in our area. Um, and then I was, we hit work, Disability Services. They moved me from BEP 209 up to the third floor of the university center. We can take a little tour if you'd like to see how it progressed over the years. Yeah. Um, but I had a staff, I had a lady that was in charge of testing, uh, a great secretary, um, and a Joyce uh, Anderson, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the fellow that was uh, also working with testing and intake because it was cumbersome to t do the intake and then to set things up and then to make sure that everything was rolling as it should roll. Uh, a lot of intervention there, uh, helping the students be, understand. Um, and then we had a couple student people that worked with us uh, that were sworn to secrecy. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but that really helped a lot, and we started increasing in numbers. I, I can't let you go without asking about the button, though. So uh, okay, I, I had I to wear you, this. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're on audio, so people can't see it. So we'll kind of explain it. But it basically has a foot on it, and it says "Don't kick the button," and it has a red circle with a line going through it. Can right. do you mind explaining your button that you're wearing? One of the programs that I put together, I had students that were in chairs. Uh, needed to hit the button, mm -hmm. kept coming in and saying, I'm seeing people kick the button. And I, they said, you know, it's filthy. You know, I'm putting my hands now where people kick the button. Right. Um, yeah. 
and people would hit it with their knees or they would you know, raise a foot and tap it. And I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, that is not very good. Yeah. So I think we had a thousand of these made up and started a, a process, had it in the newspaper, had all kinds of little things going on to educate people that you're really slapping these people with disabilities that need that button in the face. Right, absolutely. When you kick the button. <laughs> but, and that's amazing because even um, when I saw it, my thinking was from a financial standpoint, not breaking it, mm -hmm. but I didn't even think from a sanitary standpoint. Right. And that was really what their biggest issue and concern was because they're hitting it with their hands. Right, exactly. Yeah. And you see little kids that would come up and they would just found it. <laughs> kick it. Really kick that damn thing. Yeah. And that, so that was one of the things that uh, I had initiated. It went over real big. Had yeah. everybody wearing those buttons. That's awesome. So, Well, we might have to talk uh, separately because I had a situation, it's been two semesters ago now, three semesters ago, um, where I had a, a disabled veteran who had a service dog. Um, and he, every day, he always had an issue with people coming up and talking to the dog and not him. Mm -hmm. And he just felt so disrespected because nobody ever recognized him. And he would battle self-work issues and everything else. But it's a kind of a similar thing. Mm -hmm. is people just didn't really thought about it. So the education to get the word out that right. and you, know, you got to think of as a service animal is just as a, you know, it's like a wheelchair. It's well, a, it is. It's, it's, it's he's there. And you, yeah, unless it, the uh, person gives you permission, mm -hmm. that dog is just there. Just, it should be ignored. Yeah. And the dog will respond to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a, and I had someone tell me, and it's like, well, yeah, I had someone come up and was in a wheelchair, and they said, they just started pushing my wheelchair. I didn't ask them to touch my wheelchair or anything else. It was like, did right. you really do that? Um, you got to think of it kind of a similar way as a, right. as yeah. a service animal. Well, that uh, really irritates people in mm -hmm. chairs. If they're mobile, yeah. sometimes they need help, sometimes you don't, you know. Right. The, the dog issue. I have seen some dogs that said, I am a service animal, ignore me. Okay. A little sign on the dog. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it seems like that had helped when I get talking to them because right. uh, uh, I go up very upfront to talk to people, you know, and find out what they're doing. Uh, but yeah, sometimes you have to, in the strange ways, mm -hmm. uh, get people to understand. And that went on for. People have had the buttons for a long time, and I haven't seen anything. I haven't, well, haven't had as much recent times, you know. I think we did this sometime around 2003. It was the button error, maybe a little earlier, but it worked. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Um, well, is there anything else that I forgot to ask that we haven't talked about that we should before we go take our tour? Uh, you have a lot of good resources with the men and women that you're working with mm -hmm. and the more that they're willing to speak up and be counted the better off that you are and they are because that's uh, provided us with a hell of a great service and there's no reason why we can't continue that you know I people sometimes people uh, different directors and I uh, see uh, have different approaches and do get involved in different things um, there were battles that needed to be fought and I just was, was person enough to get in and say yeah I'll help you Absolutely. and uh, sometimes a things slip by as you get 
working so much with the students mm -hmm. that you miss out on getting involved with some of the bigger picture that's out there. Yeah, you only um, have so much time and only so much shit, you know, kick your ass. Right. So. I would highly, you know, say that we are, from what I can see, we're just as accessible as Wright State. And Wright State at one time was the key. It was the one that was recognized as one of the most That's dis awesome. disability friendly campus on state. Well, Dale, so. I can't thank you enough for sitting down and uh, sharing part of your story, especially um, your involvement in KU and the history behind disability studies and, and the great work that you put forth to really help NKU be one of the leaders throughout the, the region, if not the nation, on accessibility. So thank you so very much. Well, thank you very much. I'd just like to thank all the people that have helped us get to where we're at today because it was not an easy process and there was a lot of good people that stepped in and fought some battles.